morning, church. Somebody hit those lights for me. Uh, y'all can, uh, he said I was jacked up to preach. He must be right because I thought the song was over. I was sitting here talking to the pianist while worship was going on, right? So uh, I must be super excited. But uh, I'm glad you're here this morning. If you have a Bible, I want you to take it and open it up to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be in Matthew 16. We're going to start in verse 13. And we're going to go through 26. While you're turning there, I just, uh, I just want to tell you how glad that I am that you're here on this Palm Sunday. We're in the fourth week of our series that we've been in on, uh, called The End of Me. And at the, on this series, we've been looking at the particular sayings of Christ to the people who were following Him where He laid down His expectations for what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. And now, this by and large has been a series for church people. What I mean by that is, listen, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ and this is like your first Sunday here, there's, there's going to be stuff in this message today that is specifically for you. But by and large, what we've done in this series is we've looked at people who've been coming to church every Sunday, been coming your whole life, and all that we do is come in on Sundays and file back out. And what we've done is we've tried to look at you and tell you the words that Jesus would say to you, right? And now, that's been kind of hard because what Jesus ended up saying to people like me who go to church every Sunday, who don't, who don't make it a practice to follow him, he would turn around and he would say stuff to them like, if you can't hate your mother and father, you're not, you can't be my disciple, right? And all the air goes out of the room. They're like, what is Jesus talking about? He would say stuff like we're going to see today where if you don't pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me, you can't be my disciple. And the people are just... This dude is losing his mind, right? But by and large, this has been a series that's focused on church people because here's the thing. Man, you can, you can make it a habit to walk in on Sunday morning and walk back out week after week after week. But here's what we wanted you to realize from the series is that's not what Christ said. And it's, you shouldn't call yourself a Christian unless you're actually doing what Christ said to do, Right? And so we're glad you're here on this Palm Sunday. This is a huge day for Christianity, right? This is the day where Jesus, all those years ago, rode into Jerusalem and they were throwing the palm trees uh, down on the road before him and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And just a few days later, they would be shouting, crucify him, right? And so this is the week for us where we, as, as Christians, we're going to turn our attention to the cross this week. We're looking toward Good Friday. See, here's one of the things I think we, that we mess up a lot, and I'm about to read the script, about to pray and read the scripture, so I want you to just hang with me. I want to make sure today that we don't fast forward to the re- resurrection, okay? A lot of times we do that as Christians. We just talk about the good news of Easter without ever talking about the bad news of the cross. You know, the cross had to come first, okay? And so today, that's what we're really going to be focusing in on. So before we read the scripture, I want to just stop and I want us to pray for just a second, okay? Let's pray. Dear God... Lord, I am nothing but a foolish man, dear God. And Lord, I just pray that over the next few minutes you would use this foolish man's foolish words to glorify your name, Jesus. God, I pray that, um, dear God, you would take me out of the equation. Dear God, but I pray that your word would be magnified in people's hearts. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would open our eyes to see. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So you opened your Bible to Matthew 16. We're going to be in verse 13. Let me set the context for you for what's going on here. In Jesus' ministry, you know, Jesus had a three-year public ministry, okay? And in Jesus' ministry, we're at the point where Jesus is becoming very, very popular, okay? 
He's doing miracles in which he's taking things like five loaves of bread and two fish and he's feeding crowds of ten to 15,000 people, right? And now I hadn't seen the person who could pull that trick off, but it's safe to say if they came back, they'd be pretty popular too, right? Jesus is taking people who have not walked their entire life and he's raising them, for the, from the de- uh, raising them where they can walk and they have power back in their limbs. And he's, he's teaching with authority in a way that the religious teachers of the day are not teaching. And what's happening is at this point in Jesus' ministry that we're, right to, that we're about to read about, Jesus is growing in fame and power. And when that happens, he's starting to make some very real enemies. And in this passage, we're going to reach a turning point in Jesus' ministry where Jesus is going to take his eyes and he's going to set his eyes on the cross. And so today, listen, this is, what, this is where we're going today. This is our goal. Today we're going to be challenged, okay? From this text we're about to read, we're going to be challenged to see that Christ is not just any other man. We're going to be challenged to see that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in the flesh and that we should lay down our entire lives to serve Him. So let's read this text. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. I think it'll be on the screen with us. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. This is what it says. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, I had to look how to pronounce that word up, Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That just means Simon, son of Jonah. Jonah was Simon's daddy's name. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and earth, and you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So we got a long, that's a big passage of Scripture. We've got a long way to go this morning. If you're a note taker, there's three things that I want you to see from this passage that we're going to see, they're going to go through this morning. The first thing that I want you to see this morning, I channeled my inner Southern Baptist. I did some alliteration, okay? They all start with P's. The first thing I want you to see this morning, okay, is the person of Christ. 
I want you to see the person of Christ. In other words, we're going to answer this question. Who is Jesus? Let's look at verses 13 through 20 real quick. I'm not going to read them all, but I want you to see how this plays out in Jesus' question and where I'm getting this from. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say I am? So we're answering this question that Jesus is posing to the disciples. Who is Jesus? This is, here's what I want you to know this morning, all right? This is the single most important question in the history of the universe. Who is Jesus? Now, I want, I want you to know, I'm not, that's not hyperbolic. I'm not overstating my case. This is the single most important question in the history of the universe because it is the most determining question in the, for your life. And what I mean by that is how you answer this question will determine how you live your life. What, the way you answer who is Jesus will determine everything from how you raise your children to who you marry to who you, where you live. It's that important. So notice, notice the question here. Christ, first, he asked him two questions. He, the first question he asked him is, who do people say that I am? Now listen, real close here. If you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, this is a part of the message that is specifically for you, okay? He, he asked his disciples first, who do, you, who do people say that I am? So who do they say that I am is Jesus' question. Not who do you say that I am, who do they? What's the world say about me? Now, here's the way I, reason I think Jesus asked this question that way. Because Jesus knows that even back then, there are no shortages of opinion on who Jesus is. Okay? Look what some of the, what the disciples say to him. They say, some of you say, some people say Jesus in verse, uh, can we put verse... 14 up, he says, some say John the Baptist. Some say, Jesus, that you're John the Baptist reincarnate. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're the prophet Jeremiah. In other words, Jesus, what people say about you, what the world says about you, this is when Jesus is alive, is that you're a great prophet. This is what people said about Jesus. So there was no shortage of opinions even back then on who Jesus was. But you fast forward 2,000 years and guess what? There's still no shortage of opinion on who people say Jesus is. You can go anywhere in the world, almost. There are a lot of people who don't, who've never heard the name of Jesus, believe it or not. But you can go almost anywhere in the world, let's just say anywhere in America, and you can pose the question, who is Jesus? And I can promise you this, you'll find everybody's got an opinion on who Jesus is. Some people are going to tell you, man, he was just a good teacher. He taught some good things, and there was a lot of wisdom in what he taught, and we should take a lot of stock in what he said because he was a good teacher. Some people, if you go to some places in the world and you ask them, what do you think about Jesus? Maybe you go to a Muslim-dominated country and you ask them what they think about Jesus. They will tell you Jesus was a great prophet of God, that he taught some good things. He, had, he heard from God and spoke what he said. But they don't say he's the son of God. They say he's a prophet of God. Then you go some places and they say, who, you say, who was Jesus? And they say he was a rebel. He was just somebody who bucked the system and he got put to death for it, right? There, what I want you to understand is there are no shortages if you go into the world around us of, who Je- of, of opinions on who people think that Jesus is. But here's what I want you to see, that until they get to the answer of the, what the Bible says who Jesus is, then they have the wrong answer. So then this is why it gets so important for Jesus' second question. Look what he asked the disciples. He says, who do they say that I am? But in verse 15, let's look at it. He says, who do they say that I am? But in verse 15, he says, who do you 
say that I am? Who do you say that I am? See, Jesus is working his way to our hearts very strategically. And what his point is here is that other people's opinions of me do not matter. I want to know what your opinion is of me. And now, this is, this is, this is why I said this is the most important question in the history of the world, is because this is the question, church, that Christ not only asked of his disciples, but that Christ is asking of me and you today. And why this is such an important question is how people answer this question from their hearts will determine where someone spends an eternity. If they answer the way Peter's about to answer, which we're going to look at it, they'll spend eternity with Christ in heaven. And I'm not just talking about vocalizing the words, oh, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. I'm talking about you've got to mean it with your heart, okay? It's a different thing. But if we go the way of the world and we have all the opinions of the world, we're going to completely miss the point. So this is the question, church, Jesus posed to his disciples that the Bible poses to us. So today, let's answer that question. Who is Jesus? I want you to look at Peter's answer with me. Peter's answer in verse 16 says, Simon, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, what he's saying, now I want, y'all to, make, I want to make sure we know this because we grew up in church. Sometimes we start to think Christ is Jesus' last name. Christ is not Jesus' last name, okay? Christ, like, if you think that, I'm not, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you, right? Okay, I'm really laughing at you. Just kidding, no. All right, but I'm not laughing at you because that's such a common mistake. Christ is actually a term that's transferred in from our Old Testament. What the Hebrews always looked for was a coming Christ, a Messiah. And that's what that word Christ means. It means a promised one, one who is going to come and save the world, right? And what is happening is Peter, his declaration is huge because he's making clear that he does not just see Jesus as some other religious teacher. I don't see Jesus as just some other prophet. You are not like John the Baptist. You are not like Elijah. You are the living Son of God who is the Messiah who has left heaven and come to earth to save us from our sins. Peter's declaration is huge because he says, I don't see you the way everybody else sees you, Jesus. In my opinion, in my estimation, you are the son of the living God. What's your opinion on Christ? Well, you know, here's the thing. We've got to decide what we're going to do with Jesus. C.S. Lewis has the best quote on this I've ever, you know, I've ever heard because we, we have all these different opinions. You've got your opinion. And listen, we live in the world today where no opinion can be wrong. You get two opinions in conflict and you don't have one wrong person. you got two people who grew up getting participation trophies and they both believe they're right, okay? Somebody's wrong if they got two different conflicting opinions. And I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. We all have to decide how we're going to answer that question. Are we going to answer it like Peter? Or are we going to answer it like the rest of the world? And this is what C.S. Lewis says. If you don't know who C.S. Lewis was, the guy who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, he's a pretty smart guy. You should go read those books. This is what he says. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That is Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not have been a great moral teacher. 
Did you pick that up? He's saying anybody who says things like, you, can, you have to hate your family to follow me, and if they're just a normal guy, they're not a moral guy, okay? That's a bad moral statement unless you're the son of God. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. So get, get what he's saying. He says, for someone who says the things that Jesus says, either he's from the pits of hell because he's saying all kind of crazy things, or he's a lunatic who's lost his mind, and he's the equivalent of a person who says, I'm a poached egg. We don't look at people who say they're poached eggs and say they're good moral teachers. We call it, we put, there's a place called Georgia Regional right up the road we put them in, right? And that's what he's saying here. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come to him with any patronizing nonsense about him being a good human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Indeed, he, indeed, he did not intend to. So understand what he's saying here. You don't have the option to say, well, Jesus is just a good moral teacher. Jesus is either the son of God or he's a lunatic or a liar. You can, you can decide. But we have to decide what we are going to do with Jesus. And now some of you have been coming to this church since the day we opened the doors. And you've come in here and you, you're entertaining the thought of Jesus being a good guy, being a good teacher. But you've never made a declaration like Peter made. You've never said, Jesus, you are the Son of God, and I'm going to live my life to follow you. And now, I, got, I promise, i got to hurry up, because we got an Easter egg coming after this, they're saying, unless it rains. But I, so i got, I got a long way to go. But I want you to see here that location is important. He, he tells us where this is taking place. This is taking place in the di district of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi. Now, this is where but Jesus turns around and asks them this when they walk into the city limits of Caesarea Philippi. Now, Jesus is a smart man. This, he's doing this for a reason. You may not know this, but if you've got a good study Bible, I'm willing to bet that down in the notes of that study Bible, it tells you that Caesarea Philippi is a place that is known for idol worship. So this is actually a city where people come and they worship the false gods of Baal, and they worship the false god Pan, and they worship Caesar, right? And so Jesus is walking into a place that is nothing but filled with idols, nothing but filled with false God worship. And Jesus is walking into this place and he looks at the disciples in the midst of all these false gods and he asks them, who do you say that I am? And now this is huge because what Peter's saying when he says only Jesus is God is in the midst of a culture that is surrounded by tons of false gods and false prophets. What, Jesus is, what Peter is saying is that there is only one true God and His name is Jesus Christ. And now, man, you know the Bible stays relevant. Because, I don't, man, we live in a culture, man, that's surrounded by worship of false gods. We may not be bound down to little statues, but whether it's money, sex, or power, man, we're all worshiping something. And just like Peter today, we've got to stand up in our culture that's filled with nothing but distraction and false gods, and we've got to be willing to say that there is one true God, His name is Jesus Christ. But yet, not many of us have taken that step yet. This is almost like a declaration of allegiance. I was thinking about this yesterday. Is that me and Jenna had a, a trip this weekend. It was our anniversary, and every year we we just go somewhere, 
maybe for one or two nights. And we were coming, we went to Savannah this past week, or this past weekend. And I was coming back, and you know, we we declare our allegiance in a lot of different ways. And in South Georgia, in the southeastern parts of the United States, I've I've had the privilege to go all over southeast. And thing I've noticed the most about southeastern the southeastern region is that we're very willing to declare our allegiance, especially in one area. Anybody want to guess where it's at? College football, baby, right? I got a couple brothers right here right now. I'm not going to look in any directions, right? But they'll cut you deep, wide, and continuously about Georgia and Alabama football, okay? And I'm right there with them, man. We get a nice out and we'll, we'll jab, right? But, man, we're willing to declare our allegiance, right? We're roll tide. We're go dogs. We're hook em aggies if you're a real weirdo or not, okay? We're all the... We're all those things. We're all those things. We're so willing to say, this is who I'm for. Man, I, and the reason I was thinking about this is I was coming back from Savannah yesterday. I saw so many car tags with the G on them. Or I even saw one with like a Go Big Blue Michigan sticker on it. I was like, man, we are so willing to declare our allegiance to anything and everything, but when it comes to Christ, we are numb, we are, we are silent on the whole issue. We get around people and we, we're, willing to, we're willing to go to the death about whether we should have been in cover three or cover two at the end of the national championship game, but man, we won't open our mouths for Christ. And it was cover three, it was the right call, in case y'all don't want to. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, some of y'all don't know football, all right? But we're willing to go to the death about everything but Jesus. God help us. So I want you to see the person of Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. I want you to see, number two, the plan of God. Look, and we're going to kind of breeze through these. Look at verse 21 through 23 with me. This is where it really gets good in this text. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside. Listen, I love Peter. I mean, Peter's just scared of nothing, right? And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from me, for you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on things of God. I want you to see the plan of God here. This is the point in Jesus' ministry. It says, from that time he began to tell his disciples, to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem to go to, be, to suffer many things. This is the point in Christ's ministry where he sets his heart, his mind, and his focus entirely on the cross. This is the point where nothing is going to distract him from his main objective for why he came. He came to die on the cross to free sinners. And verse 21, listen, verse 21, it put verse 21 back up. This is the best summary of the gospel I can give you. Y'all read it with me. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and be killed and on the third day be raised again. Listen, we get so confused about what the gospel actually is. I was on a website this week and I, this kind of stuff makes me so mad that I could, just, I could break stuff. And I'm not going to tell you what the website was, but it was a recognizable Christian website and they, de they defined the gospel as that we should love our neighbor as ourselves, and we should love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That that is not the gospel. That's the law. 
Jesus summarized the law in two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But yet we got other Christians telling each other that the gospel is that you should love God, love neighbor. That's not the gospel. That's the law. You want to know what you'll never be able to do up by in your own strength and your own power. Love God and love your neighbor. You'll never be good enough to it. You want me to prove it to you? You want me to prove that you'll never be able to love your neighbor as yourself? How many of you in the past month have gotten in an argument with your spouse? Because you can't love your neighbor as yourself. You're not strong enough. But here, I want, I, I, I want to make this, I'm making this point so clear because I want you to see that Jesus is trying to define the gospel for us. And here's the gospel. That Jesus Christ left heaven, came to this earth, and he went to a cross. Now, he did nothing to deserve the cross. He had never sinned. He had never committed a crime. He had never, ever done wrong to anyone or anybody. The only thing that he had come doing was preaching the entire counsel of God. He had never sinned. And he went and died on a sinner's cross for you and for me. Now, here's what I want you to understand. We're coming to Good Friday. This is really important. The reason Christ was crucified on a cross on Good Friday was because we sinned, not because Christ sinned. Christ was murdered on a cross for our sake. When the Bible says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, what that means is you should literally picture yourself on the cross because that was the punishment you deserved. Because we have sinned against God. And here's the good news of the gospel. He was murdered on that cross, and on the third day he rolled the, tomb away, the stone away and walked out of the tomb. That's the gospel. And now here's what I, I get. I kind of got a little mad there. I didn't, that wasn't in my notes. <laughs> here's what I want you to understand. You want to love your neighbor as yourself? You want to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? You want to know where you find the strength to do that? It ain't by waking up in the morning and saying, God, I'm going to try my hardest today. It's by looking at that cross. It's by looking back to the cross. But here's the thing. If you're one of the 12 disciples, remember what I told you is going on here. Jesus is growing in fame. Jesus is growing in popularity. There are even parts from the other gospels that we know from this. There are even parts where people are looking at Jesus and saying, let's just make him king. I mean, you got a guy who can heal the people who are lame. He can raise the dead from the. He can raise the dead back to life, and he can feed all of us. Let's just make him king. So the disciples are feeling pretty good about this, right? They're like, man, we're we jumped on the wagon at the right time, right? It's like all those Alabama fans who jumped on like ten years ago. They just got on at the right time, all right? I'm just kidding. I'm, I got a brother here who I love. Damn, I'm just messing with him, all right? But they're like, man, we're riding this train at the exact right time. But he's about to be made king. And so if you're following Jesus right now, listen, you're following Jesus right now, and he starts coming up with some stuff about I'm about to go to Jerusalem and be killed, you're like, hold up. <laughs> we signed up for the king part, not for you to be killed. Can you, see, can you see why this would be bad news for the disciples? And so Peter, he's never one to keep quiet. Jesus Come here and let me tell you something. I know, Jesus, you're not that informed. You're just the son of God and I'm just a fisherman. But Jesus, come here and let me tell you something. I'll never let this happen to you. you got to love Peter. He just no, never knows when to shut up. I read, I read about Peter, Peter and I say, man, there's hope for me. <laughs> he just don't know when to shut up. And I love Jesus' response. 
Get behind me, Satan. Now, your kids might call you Satan. Your parents might call you Satan. Yeah, your wife might, uh, you might, your wife might call you Satan. I don't know what your life's like, okay? But when Jesus calls you Satan, you can rest assured you're in the wrong. Get behind me, Satan. See, Satan is influencing Peter here because Satan is always against the mission of God. And here, we're forced to examine our own hearts. Because if we truly believe that Jesus is Lord, then we must submit all of our lives to Him and let Him call the shots. But the reality is, a lot of us live like Peter. A lot of us pay lips. You remember, Peter just paid lip service. You're the living son of the son of the living God. You're the best thing ever. We pay lip service to Jesus, but when the time comes, we when we go to get in the car, we put ourselves in the driver's seat and we relegate Jesus to passenger. And here's what I want you to see: when you live your life and you put your agenda, your comfort and your plans above Christ's kingdom and mission, you are doing the exact same thing that Satan did in the very beginning. Do you remember, anybody remember how Satan fell? The Bible says that he fell from heaven like a star shooting across the sky. It's because he wanted the throne for himself. He wasn't content to let Christ call the shots. He wasn't content to let God call the shots. He wanted to call the shots himself. And so Peter has just professed his, faith, his allegiance to God. And then the next moment, he's doing the exact same thing Satan did all those years ago. He said, I'll be in control. You sit back. And now this, this is where it calls us to examine our own hearts, Christian. How many times do you live your life as if you are in control and relegate Christ to the, the passenger seat? Are you submitted to Him? Or... Is, are you calling the shots? And I see people elbowing each other. Don't be the Holy Spirit. Are you submitted to Christ or is he calling the shots? Last thing, last P, the path of a disciple. Verse 24 through 26. We gotta, we're going to run through this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, Jesus is a master teacher. We have here a moment of confusion amongst the disciples. Peter is obviously does not know how this thing's supposed to run, right? Peter is like, well, I, I love Jesus. I'll call the shots. And, and Jesus sees this, this confusion, and he takes the opportunity to clarify the roles of the disciples who are going to be following him. And that's what he does in verse 24. He says, if anybody wants to be my disciple, Peter, if you want to be my disciple, then you are to deny yourself, take up a cross, and follow me. You see, Jesus is making clear that the role of a disciple is to die to yourself for the sake of Jesus. Luke 9.23, Romans 12.1-2, Philippians 3.8, you go look it up. But these are passages all throughout the New Testament where we are told one thing, die to yourself, live for Jesus. Now, what does it mean? Because I understand, like, Dallas, I get what you're saying, die to myself. What does that actually mean in my real life? And here, listen, I want you, believer, I want you to leave here and know what it means because I want you to do this. I want to do this, man. I, this, this isn't me preaching to you. This is me preaching to myself because I want to do this when I leave here. To die to yourselves means we take all of our preferences, 
all of our desires, all of our comfort, and our entire lives, and we lay them at the feet of Jesus, and we look to cross, we look to Christ on the cross, and we say, I'll go wherever, do whatever, and be whoever you tell me to be, because in you I found something that's worth more than anything else. You see, look at verse 25 and 26. The path of a disciple, as the worship band is going to start making their way back up here, the path of a disciple has a payoff, a very, very, very lucrative payoff. Look at what he says. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is saying, if you want to find true life, if you want to find true joy, if you want to find true peace, then what you have to do is die to yourself and find your life in me. Now, this confuses me, so I had to figure out a way that I could illustrate it to help communicate my point. What am I trying to tell you that you're to die to yourself to find real life? I'm going to tell you this, and I, I, I debated not to tell you this because I know I'm going to hear some jokes about it after, all right? But y'all, y'all preachers, y'all just got all the money and all this stuff, whatever. I don't want to hear it. Okay, I married a pharmacist. You made your decisions, all right? <laughs> Listen, me and my wife went on this trip this past week, and we... I didn't want to, I've heard this all my whole life, Ruth's Chris, Ruth's Chris, Ruth's Chris, so good, da, da, da. And man, I don't know, I grew up in Scarborough, all right, we don't know nothing about no Ruth's Chris, all right? So I'm t- I looked at the online menu and I was like, baby, it ain't happening. We ain't going to Ruth's Chris, you know, they won't, I ain't going to tell you how much for a steak. I thought I was buying the cow and I was going to take it home and slaughter But I said, man, I, we just ain't, I, generally we ain't paying that much, I ain't going. Well... We talked about going here, we talked about going there. We could tell Jenna really wanted to go to Ruth's Chris, right? So, we're going to Ruth's Chris, all right? I'll call and make the reservation. I'm going to be sick, ain't going to be able to eat, we're going to Ruth's Chris. <laughs> we show up, and it's our anniversary. They're being so nice to us. Happy anniversary. They get in the, get in the menu, sit down at the table. And I'm literally just like, oh my gosh. I mean, I, I can't explain that enough to you. I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. This is absurd. I, I can't pay this much for one meal, right? So we order. I was just like, you know what? Put it on cracker. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. I, didn't say that. I said, you know what? We only do this once a year. I'm going I'm to not say a word about it. I'm going to love my wife. We're going to eat this nice meal. So I got what I wanted, she got what she wanted, and they brought the meal to us. Y'all, it was the best food I've ever put in my mouth. And I'm not joking with you. Like, please, if you've never been and you can afford to go, go. If you can't afford to go, don't eat all week and go, all right? It was, y'all, it was literally, it was so good. It was, it was, some of, it was the best meal, whole meal I've ever had. And I, me and Jenna were both like, we were just eating. I was just like, God, i got to stop. You know, I'm about to pop. And just, it was so good, I couldn't stop. They brought the check to me. I didn't even look at it. I was just like, take my whole wallet. <laughs> and it wasn't because I was worried about the price. It was because the food was so good, I didn't care at that point how much it cost. And here's, I know that's like a funny story. Ha, ha, all that. Here's what I want you to see. What happens when we come to Christ is that up front we are presented with such a high cost that it seems staggering. 
You must die to yourself. You must lay your life on the line. You must be willing to love me so much that you don't even love your own children as much as you love me. And we look at this and we say, this is too much. I can't love you as much as I love my wife. I can't love you as much as I love my child. I can't do it. And he says, well, these are my terms and conditions. I don't accept anything else. And what we do when we find that moment in our lives, what happens is it's the hardest thing we've ever had to do. But when we lay it down, when we die to ourselves and say, Christ, you alone are it, man, we don't even worry about it anymore. Something happens, and it's the best meal we've ever had. It's the most enjoying experience we've ever found. It's the most peace when you lay down at night. It's the most thankfulness because in your heart, you know how big a sinner you actually are and you don't even have to worry about it anymore because Christ has took that from you. It's, the, it's life. And what Jesus says is if you want to find your life, you got to lose it. But if you try to hold on to it, what's it going to gain you to have the whole world and lose your soul? It all boils down to this this morning, church. I'm closing with this. Who do you say Jesus is and what are you going to do about it? I told you this morning what the gospel is. Christ came to earth, died on a cross through our sin and then rose three days later. You can have eternal life. This morning, I pray that God's opened somebody's eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. For you to say for the first time this morning, Jesus Christ is all I want. I'll die to myself and I'll follow Him. And if that's you this morning, and you're saying, for the first time I've surrendered my life to Christ, He's it. Listen, and please hear me say this, not because you heard a good sermon. I would rather you hear a bad sermon and get saved than hear a good sermon and think, man, the preacher was great today. I would forget that. Not because you heard a good sermon, but because you want to lay down your life to Christ. If that's you, you've got a couple opportunities. We're going to pray here in just a minute. I would invite you, me and a couple other people, we're going to stand off to the side right here. If you want to give your life to Christ, come pray with us. If, that's, if you just don't know about that, you ain't never had any experience with praying with somebody else, we've got it. these cards, you got it when you walked in. They've got, on, they've got on their prayer needs. You can put on there, I gave my life to Christ. And we'll contact you this week and talk about that. But if today's the day, then lay down your life. Now, for others of us, we are disciples. We're like the disciples who've been following Jesus. We've been coming to church. We've been doing this thing, okay? But so many times we get just like Peter. We just say, Jesus, you're the son of God, but I'd rather call the shots for my own life. Listen, that's me. Just because they give me a microphone don't mean I'm any better off than you. So many times I have to lay myself down every day and say, God, whatever you want, not whatever I want. And if that's you today, I would challenge you. We're about to have the Lord's Supper. Let this be a moment of worship for you, okay? This altar will be open before we have the Lord's Supper for a verse. Come down here and pray, and pray for forgiveness. Are you on the path of a disciple? Are you in the driver's seat? It boils down to that, church members. Or you can keep coming here Sunday after Sunday and playing games. Last thing is this, and I'm going I'm to come back up, and we're going to do the Lord's Supper, so as the, if the uh, band would go ahead and come up. I'm going to uh, come back up and instruct us in just a minute.
But for the Lord's Supper, for those who don't know, what it is, is it is a reminder of the sacrifice of Christ, okay? And so what that means is that just like Christ in this passage set His face on the cross and said, this is where I'm going, for the next few minutes, as believers, we're going to set our mind on the cross. And we're going to say, Christ, You are all I want. It's just a moment of worship. It's just a moment of saying, thank you, Jesus. Now, one thing that goes along with that is repentance. The Bible actually says in 1 Corinthians that if you drink of this cup in an unworthy manner, meaning you have intentional, listen to my words, intentional, unrepentant sin. That means sin that you know is going on, that Christ has convicted you of, and that you have refused to repent of. If you have intentional, unrepentant sin, then the Bible says when you drink of this cup without repentance, you're drinking judgment on yourself. Don't do that to yourself. Listen, stay in your seat. Nobody's going to judge you. I promise you. The guy with the microphone ain't going to judge you. The few up here ain't going to judge you. Just stay in your seat. But here's what I'm offering you before that. Just make this a time of repentance. If there's anything in your heart that you just need to repent of today, just lay it at the feet of Christ and say, God, I repent of that right now. You, they're going to play through a, a, a course. You can come pray. When everybody gets back to their seat, then we'll, we'll, have, we'll partake of the Lord's Supper, okay? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the way you love us. Oh, God, I just do repent of anything in me today that was sinful. God, I know that I'm a foolish man, dear God, and I just pray, God, that somebody didn't hear my words, God, because that's not what I want. God, I don't want... I don't want that, God. I don't want that, God. I don't want them to go away today thinking that they heard a good message. I want them to go away today knowing they got a good God. So I pray for that, and I pray that now we go into a time of repentance and worship in your name. In Christ's name.